Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. We welcome you to the third episode of a study, or studies rather, in the writing of the Apostle Peter. We're looking at 1 Peter uh, to start with. We're in the first chapter. If, uh, if you have, if you knew the class, where we've only covered some of the introductory things, but this being the third episode, we left off last week around uh, verse six. Uh, we will talk about verse five once again tonight, and then move on through uh, through verse nine, because all of this, the first nine verses are all on the same theme. At that point in verse 10, we, we change direction just a little bit. So, so far, in the first five verses of First Peter, we have a lot of the needed information that we uh, would, would require. And just to give you a brief idea of what that is, the one sending the letter or the epistle, as we call it, is the Apostle Peter. He's named. He names himself. Then we find those receiving this epistle are the so-called choice sojourners. Uh, If you're aware of uh, the terminology there, we spoke at length, and their location uh, where they would might be found in the known world and quite a, covered quite a area there. And then we had an idea about by what authority did the apostle speak and, and write uh, these, this epistle and his other writings. And last, just in these first five verses, we had a brief recounting of the good news or rather with a message from God the divine message, if you will, the sublime words of the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in his name. So it's amazing how much can be done in a very short number of words. And that's how we find the Bible written, basically, everywhere we look. Now, let's turn to 1 Peter 1.5 again. And uh, I think I'll... Uh, Go ahead and re reread that verse so we're familiar with it again. We're using the Young's literal translation, I believe. Who, in the power of God, are being guarded through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And this is where we left off. The apostle wants the reader to understand that this power of God is guarded. The power of God is the guarding or the guardian of this inheritance of the saints. In other words, God is assuring P- 
people that these things that has been promised through his son, Jesus Christ, and through the gospel, are guarded in heaven for the saints. Now, the saints have a part in this also because the verse says, through faith. Through faith. Well, through faith. Now, that's the people, isn't it? That's the people who have turned to Christ. Uh, through their faith in the faith. That's right. Through their faith. That's right. Uh, and the faith being all there is to know concerning the gospel. You see, heaven is a place of sight, not faith. Uh, we live in faith here. This covenant is in faith, and we must understand that. So through faith of the children of God in the promises, of course, that God has made towards salvation. And all of this was ready to be revealed in the last time. Uh, last week we spoke on the word ready. It is not the normal Greek word that we find in a phrase like this where it's really uh, where it should be translated about to be revealed. This word ready is a different Greek word, but it has the exact same type. I mean, it means soon to be, very close to be revealed. Um, now, you see, revealed when? In the last time. Well, when is the last time? If it's soon, to the readers of this letter, nearly 2,000 years ago, then what kind of time period are we talking about? See, this is, this is normally what we never talk about when we study things such as this in the scriptures. What does this mean? What does this verse, verse 5, mean? And what did it mean to those of A.D. 63? That's a long time ago, but Peter was speaking to them personally in this letter. And what does it say to us in this generation? When we look at that, what do we take from that? You know, we're reading history. Uh, but they were receiving a letter that was speaking about something that was soon to be revealed to them. Now, most Bible teachers just relegate these words to the idea or the concept that we are still waiting for the last times or the last days. And that's pretty much where they park that, that bus. Uh, you know, when you just say, well, it's sometime in the future, that, that pretty much, you know, that pretty much does it. Now we can stop talking about it, right? Well, unfortunately, if, if the people that were reading this letter felt like that, they wouldn't have went much further, would they? And we're in the same boat, you know. We have to understand what this means. When are the last days? That's what we have to find out. And if the scripture can't tell us when the last days are, then we would be in a real pickle. But the scripture does tell us. The apostles used the phrase, the last days, and not for things in the future, distant future, but for the times that they were living in. 
you got to remember, the last days to this Jewish people were the last days of the Jewish covenant period. We've got some verses here. It's on our uh, outline that's been emailed. Uh, if you have that, if not, make sure you write these down because this the idea of the last days is very important. If you can't, if you do not understand what's being said here, it's the very first of this letter, you may have a lot of trouble with the things that follow. Jude wrote in verse 17 and 18, and he said this. Now he's writing to the people of his day, the same exact time period as Peter. And he said, And ye, beloved, remember ye the same spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now what's Jude talking about? He's talking about the apostolic teaching to the people of that time. Remember, he says, remember the things spoken. Verse 18, And they said to you that in the last time there shall be scoffers after their own desires of impiety going on. Now, that doesn't absolutely answer our question, does it? Except for the fact that this is all written, the grammar shows the idea of this particular thing occurring at the very time that they were reading the letters, the scoffers and all. As, as his uh, letter goes on, you see that. He starts describing people that they were living with at that very time. Okay, the last time. Let's move on. 1 John 2, 18. <clears throat> it's used a couple of times here, I believe, in this verse. It says, little youth, it is the last hour. And even as you have heard that the Antichrist doth come, even now, Antichrist have become many. Whence, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, because of the activities of the, uh, the spirit of Antichrist, in other words, those opposing Christ and the gospel that was with them in that very day that he was writing this letter, they knew that it was the last hour. And the last hour is always a reference to the last day, but the last hour in that day. You see how close of time period? Uh, and if we understand when that letter was written, First uh, John was written um, just maybe a year before this uh, letter from Peter, about 62 A.D. Let's look at 1 Peter 1.20 in the chapter that we're studying right now. <clears throat> Peter says, Foreknown indeed before the foundation of the world and manifested in the last times because of you. Can we escape uh, the grammar here? We have to understand that the you here is referring to the people that have received the letter. And the last times are manifest. They're clearly seen to those people at that time. You're starting to get the concept that the last time was the time they were living in at that time. 
And then in Second uh, Peter, a little longer passage, I want to read it to you because Peter is explaining things that are going to occur at the very last hour, if you will, of the Jewish covenant. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, starting with verse 2. And these are verses that you need to listen to me read tonight, but take some time and read these for yourself. Read them over and over again. And understand that Peter was talking to the people of that time. What does he say? He says here, to be mindful of the sayings said before by the holy prophets and of the command of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. This first knowing that there shall come in the latter end of the days scoffers according to their own desires, desire going on and saying, where is the promise of his presence? By the way, that's an excellent translation because most of our Bibles have the word coming there. But it's the promise of his presence. And this is after Jesus has ascended to heaven, you, you realize. For since the fathers did fall asleep, all things so remain from the beginning of creation. That's what the scoffers are saying. But it's not so. For this is unobserved by them willingly, that the heavens were of old, and the earth out of water, and through water standing together by the word of God. That uh, though <clears throat> which then the world by water, having been deluged, was destroyed. Now he's talking about the flood, right? Noah's flood. By the word of God, by the will of God, that happened. And then he moves on. And the present heavens and earth. Now this is just a little confusing here because we'd have to do a study on what the word heavens and earth mean here in the symbolic and the figurative, even the, the literary understanding of this in the Jewish mindset. But the present, that means the ones that they the time frame of their of their self by the same word are treasured or being preserved for fire being kept to a day of judgment and destruction of the impious men and this one thing let not be unobserved by you beloved that one day with the lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day the lord is not slow in regard to the promise certain count slowness, but he is long-suffering to us, not counseling any to be lost, but all to, to pass on to reformation or reconciliation, a better word maybe for us. And it will come the day of the Lord as a thief in the night in which the heavens with a rushing noise will pass away and the elements with burning heat be dissolved, the earth and the works in it shall be burnt up. All these, then, being dissolved, what kind of persons doth it behoove you to be in holy behavior and pious acts, waiting for and hastening to the presence of the day of God, 
by which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements with the burning heat shall melt. And for new heavens and new earth, according to his promise, do we wait, in which righteousness doth well. Wherefore, beloved, these things, these things waiting for be diligent, spotless, and unblameable by him to be found in peace. Now, if you want to write another passage down, write down a passage that says Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. This, the key to understanding this is the key to understanding what the word heaven and earth meant. Heaven and earth in the Jewish mindset meant uh, all that was Jewish. The, um, the common word is the Jewish economy, and I don't mean the business economy. All that is Jewish in government, in, in uh, powerful men, uh, and heavens and earth refer to Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem, not Italy, not Egypt, not anywhere else. Judah and Jerusalem, that's heaven and earth in the mindset and what the apostles preached. Well, let's, let's go to Matthew 5. I'll show you where it's at. Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18. This is right after Jesus speaks the Beatitudes to all the people. Now he's talking to the, uh, the, his apostles. And he says this to them. Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, Jesus is the Messiah, and they know it. For verily I say unto you, and this is the key, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law till all things be accomplished. Now, friends, if heaven and earth mean the ground that we walk on, the sky and the stars and, and the moon and all that we have, and it's all burned up into whatever, if that's what heaven and earth means in first in uh, uh, in Second Peter, then what does it mean here? You see, we have the same ground to walk on that they did then. We have the same sky, the same stars, the same sun and moon. Heaven and earth are not referring to physical bodies. It's referring to. Uh, it's referring to the, the economy or, or the uh, workings of men within the covenant period. You see, until heaven and earth pass away, nothing will change in the law till all things be accomplished. You see, everything needed to be fulfilled. He talks about that in Luke 21. All things will be fulfilled that are written in the Messiah. The, the, the coming of the Messiah, the birth, the preaching, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the sending out of the apostles, that was the accomplishment that God had promised. So, friends, here's the problem. If we consider heaven and earth to be, to be the sun, moon, and stars, 
and then the earth we stand on, then we live under the law right now. <clears throat> there is The church has not been established because we're still under law. You see? Jesus said, I'll, I'll not remove one jot or tittle until heaven and earth pass away. It's hard. This is hard to take if you haven't heard it before. And this goes all the way back into the Old Testament, even in Genesis, when Joseph has his dream and he wakes up and tells his family, uh, I saw the sun and moon, and, and uh, he goes on. In illustrations of, of heavenly beings and they're, and they're bowing down to him. And at the end of his, the next dream he has, he makes it very clear that the sun, moon, and stars are his mother, his father, and his brothers. That's how the language is used. Now, is it written like that to confuse us? No. But God wants us to understand his, the full counsel of Scripture, all of it. If you're reading Genesis and you read for the first time how the the um, heavens and earth and the sun and moon and stars represent people at that point, then you're going to be looking for that same thing every time you see those, those words. A lot of times it doesn't mean that because the context won't allow it. Here it does. The context demands it. Because that passage in Matthew, it, there's a whole denomination of people built on those two verses they're still waiting for what? The church to be established. You see, they, they teach that Jesus failed. He was murdered, and he'll come back sometime later and try it again. Not only failed, but lied, too. Yeah. You see, we just can't do that. Um, so when the apostle is talking about the last times, we need to know what it means. And I hope that I've covered that enough. Look at it for yourself again. Uh, that's why we're making these notes, so you can go over these scriptures again. Um, we must understand that the last days of the first covenant people, the Jews, began with the birth of Jesus in 2 B.C. and came to completion in A.D. 70. Those are the literal last days. And, and as close as we get to A.D. 70, the days become ours. The days of the consummation of the age. And let's look at Matthew 24.3. Look what the apostles asked Jesus uh, just, just before he was going to be arrested, actually, not, not, many, not long before. They wanted to know because he had just told them that that they walked through the temple area and he says, uh, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. He, they thought he was talking about the building. And he wasn't. Verse 3, here's what the apostles said to Jesus. And when he is sitting on the mound, that is Jesus, of olives, the disciples came near to him by himself, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? 
In other words, when is this all going to be torn down and you're going to rebuild it? And what is the sign of thy presence? In other words, when will you be there at this time? And of the full end of the age. Do you think the Jewish men that, that night knew what the end of the Jewish age was? They were waiting for it. They knew it was near. They knew it was at hand. And that, friends, is, is, is the last days. That's what they were talking about. From that period when that happened uh, right there was about A.D. 31. The last days came in A.D. 70, uh, the com complete completion of it. That buffer period is where the church had been established and born, and, and the world was, and the Jews and the, and the Gentiles were giving almost a 40-year period to respond to the gospel, to become, to be baptized into Christ. And the word had to be spread throughout the known world. Right. The word had to be spread. They didn't have their cell phones and their internet. They had to get on a donkey or get, a, get going down the road by foot. It's going to take a little while, isn't it? It did take a while. But by A.D. 60, less than 30 years, the Apostle Paul writes, and it's in the Colossians chapter 1, that the gospel has been preached in the entire inhabited earth at that time. They're busy, busy people. And then... I'll bring an Old Testament verse in here that confirms this. Daniel. Chapter 12 in Daniel. Last chapter in Daniel. Let's look at verse 9 and 10. You see, Daniel's hearing from the angel, and the angel's telling him about the last days of the Jews, his people. And it says, uh, <clears throat> and he said, the angel said to Daniel, Go. For the words are closed and sealed up to the time of the end. Many must be tested and thoroughly whitened and tried with fire and sanctified, but the transgressors shall transgress, transgress and none of the transgressors shall understand. But the wise shall understand. And then it goes on to explain the time period. All of these things happen. That thoroughly whitened is what? That's the blood of Christ applied to the sins of men. Testing, that's your faith being tested. Remember the persecution that came after the, the church was born. And the transgressors and all that were the unbelieving Jews, basically. Those are the major transgressors. Actually, they are the transgressors. The Gentiles weren't transgressors. They, they had no covenant with God. So they were not transgressing. But the gospel was offered to them also. So you see in Daniel, in the last chapter, where he is finding the very final things, the final hours of the Jewish covenant and his people under that covenant, these words are said concerning the end. So I'm pretty convinced that the last days are the apostolic age, the apostolic period. 
uh, I would, I'd have to have a whole lot of evidence to convince me uh, any other way. And I think that's what the scripture is teaching. I'm positive of it. And the more I read, the more positive I am of it. And the more I study. Just as we go now from in chapter 1 to verse 6. Which is, of course, a continuation of verses 4 and 5. You'll notice that there's commas, not periods anywhere. So it's one long breath. But verse 6 says, In which ye are glad, a little now, if it be necessary, being made to sorrow in manifold trials. Now, that's not the English that we use in our everyday speech. I'll give you that. But it has everything in there for us to know. Um, There are, these are uh, times of struggle and testing ahead. Uh, As a matter of fact, it was only about one year after this letter was, was given to the churches that it really got serious, the, the testing. And the testing uh, is either in a little while or for a little while. It really, it didn't last that long in, in the scheme of things. If you were being tried and tested in the way they were, it would have seemed like a, a long, long time. And it was, it was in the idea of sorrows and manif- manifold trials. In other words, one after another, all different kinds. Now, the apostle knows through revelation these things. See, he's telling them something that hasn't happened yet. Sure, they've had some persecution, but most of that have come, come from the Jews persecuting other Jews for becoming Christians. Uh, That was a continual situation going on from the day of Pentecost on. That was not a settled situation. And by the way, it's still not settled today, is it? We still have the same issue in, in in, in a certain way. The mind of Christ. The apostles know through revelation because the mind of Christ as we read about 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, the Apostle Peter says, uh, For who did know the mind of the Lord that he shall instruct him? And we, we have the mind of Christ. The we there, the pronoun refers back to the apostles, doesn't refer back to, to you or I or anybody else there. It was the apostles. They had the mind of Christ. Why? Because they needed to have the mind of Christ to do the work they were doing. They were establishing the kingdom of God within the world, and they were using words, miracles, the the written text of, of the scriptures of the Jews. They were doing a masterful work, and to do it all in less than 30 years, they needed the mind of Christ, and Christ was with the apostles during this time uh, until uh, that was accomplished. So this this verse 6 is just a continuation of this, but remember the uh, issue of sorrows, sorrow and manifold uh, manifold trials, that's a real situation. 
That's what we call tribulation or persecution. Uh, it was coming their way. Uh, it wasn't in full swing yet, and that's what helps us date. Um, that's what helps us date this letter. Uh, there's, we're, we're very, very clear on year to year through this time period. For one thing, the Romans kept, kept very good track of time because of the, their, their uh, Caesars and the things that occurred, the historians outside of the Bible kept good track of these things. So we know about when these things occurred. And that's why this letter was very timely. Because the next year, the very next year, uh, we find um, Nero Caesar declaring war, if you will, on Christians everywhere. For other reasons that not part of this study. Let's look at verse 7, and then we'll talk about that. Because after he says all of these things, he makes a comment here, that the proof of your faith, in other words, you need to survive these sorrows and manifold manifold trials to prove your faith. That's your part, that your fidelity uh, doesn't grow weak, that you hold to the faith of Christ, that you not let men take you one way or the other. And then he goes on explaining that faith, or describing it better said, much more precious than of gold that is perishing and through fire being approved may be found to praise and honor and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're back to the, the issue of another time frame, see. Uh, all this being come to a full head in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what do we know? The proof of your faith, the resolve to be ever faithful to the Lord and his name would be tested in many ways for these people nearly 2,000 years ago. We have our own testing in the day we live. They had testing uh, somewhat different. Um, Other Christians through the ages have had many testings of all different kinds. But Nero was Caesar during this time period. Uh, And because of his lunacy as Caesar in Rome, he ended up burning the city and doing all kinds of crazy things. And at the end of the day, he thought, well, the best way to get through this is just to blame the Christians for the fire and all of our other problems. And that's just what he did. Uh, And they were an easy target because they didn't really protest. They had bigger things to, to worry about, and that was their fidelity to the Lord. So Christians were persecuted everywhere in the Roman Empire. But it took a while for that message to get out, didn't it? Just the way the gospel took a while to get from Jerusalem to Rome, it takes a while to get Nero's edict from Rome to the places all over the world where Christians are living. Nero died in A.D. 68. Um, He didn't die of old age. He died of more of his lunacy. Uh, 
so the things he was doing in that case were, were accomplished and done. But in that time period between 64 and 68, he also had to go to war with Judea, the Jews, in all of Judea and Jerusalem, and that occurred in A.D. 66. Now, his hand was forced here because the Jews had revolted against Rome in Jerusalem, killing many Roman soldiers and all. So Nero sent General Vespasian to Palestine to completely obliterate all that was Jewish. And by the way, in the, in the Roman mindset, Jews and Christians were pretty much the same thing. Uh, they felt the Christ, Christians were a sect of Jude, Judaism, and, and you know they were all they were fairly close in that it, it did come from the Jews, but they had no concept of of uh, the Savior or God's promises. Um, you got to remember these people were pagans and uh, very superstitious, and they were afraid of many of the things to do with the Jews and the Christians because of what they'd heard of miracles and things of this sort. They were very, very uh, skeptic. So, how precious is faith in Christ? According to this verse, I think he's trying to illustrate here by using the idea of gold, which was the classic highest situation at that time. It means that the faith in Christ is precious beyond measure. We can't give it a measure. It's not worth so many dollars. It's not uh, better than the whole city or any of these things. It's beyond measure because the promise of Christianity has nothing to do with the physical world that we live in and many times not even the day-to-day struggles that we go through. That's what faith does. We live in faith, not sight. And all. And when you're a Christian, when you do things outside of faith, it's called sin. You need to do things through faith. Through faith. Don't ever forget that, because this is apostolic teaching. Um, it sure seems like we need to do things outside of faith a lot of times. But at the end of the day, it it would be wrong if we do. Because that faith is beyond measure. And when was the culmination of, of all this to be? When was, when was it going to be obvious and manifold and, and clearly seen? Um, and the, the word we want to use here is the word parousia, which is the word that our New Testaments in English usually translate in the word coming, but it means presence. That's what the apostles said to Jesus. When will be the parousia? Your parousia, it's, it's an event. It's an event. At the event of the parousia, of the Lord Jesus Christ, in his presence. Let's look at Matthew 24, verse 30 and 31. Jesus tells the apostles about it. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven, 
And then shall all the tribes of the earth smite the breast, and they shall see the Son of Man coming upon the clouds of heaven with power and much glory. By the way, the word coming there is the proper word in English translated. Verse 31, And he shall send his messengers with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his chosen from the four winds, from the ends of the heavens unto the ends thereof. All right? I thought there was another word in that passage. And that's, that's at his presence, of course, uh, this gathering together, the ends of the heavens and the end thereof. That, that is the ends thereof, meaning the end of the, the entire affair, yeah, if you will. It, it's finished. It's complete. Yeah, it's the, a... the end of the age. Uh, all these things happen at the end of the age. And that is not just what the apostles were asking. And Jesus is describing to them uh, the actual details of it. And the grammar being to where the idea is that these things, some of them would see with their own eyes. Not all, some. We know that some were, were taken before that. So we got just a little time to read, to read verse 8 and 9. Because it's really a continuation of what we've been reading all the way since verse 4, actually. <clears throat> verse 8, whom not having seen, now he's talking about the people receiving the letter, they are the whom, not having seen, you love in whom, not, uh, now not seen and believing, you are glad with the joy unspeakable and glorified, receiving the end of your faith, salvation of souls. Now, what, what's being said here? I have in my notes, unlike the Apostle Peter, these brethren have never seen Jesus. They, they never saw his earthly ministry. They never saw the crucifixion and him after the resurrection. They didn't see the ascension. They weren't there on Pentecost. Maybe a few were there at Pentecost, but not many. And even then they wouldn't have seen Jesus. Yet they love him and they believe in him. Their faith is in Christ for the promises of God. And what are the promises of God? Sonship, daughtership, to be a child of God with joint heirs with Christ in the inheritance that God has for his son. And the inheritance there, we don't want to confuse it with inheritances that we have in this world. Uh, They fall far short of what we're talking about here. They are, not only that, they're joyful in their faith. And to what end does their faith bring them? To the salvation of their souls. You see, you're saved, 
you obey the gospel, you are brought into Christ, you are a new creation in Christ, your home is in heaven, you, and you will live in the new Jerusalem when you leave these bodies, and yet, and yet, you don't, you haven't, you don't have salvation with both hands yet. You, are, you live in faith of salvation. And even the Apostle Paul talks about the idea that um, after all he has done, he still could fall away. But he doesn't plan to. And I, I have in Romans, just to finish this off tonight, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 24, and it's a very difficult chapter here. Most of the speaking in here has to do with the apostles, but in this, we have a concept for believers. For in hope, we were saved. Now that would be everyone that, that is... We have the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. And hope beheld is not hope. So if you already have salvation, you're not hoping for it. All right? But that's not our condition until we stand before the Lord. For what anyone doth behold, why doth he hope for it? In other words, we can't call it hope. We can't call our faith faith if we have already seen and already have the things we hope for and the things we believe in. We live in faith, not, not by sight. We live by faith or through faith, out of faith. That's, that's what we should say. We live out of faith, not out of sight. In other words, it's not physical. That would be the lesson for this evening. We'll pick up in, in verse 10 because now, now we go to a little, a little different topic, a little more illustration dig a little deeper into the uh, beefsteak that we've, we've uh, put on our plate here. Uh, I think it would be a good way to do it. <laughs> we we uh, hope those listening this evening, if you have questions, please remember to email us those things, comments, and we will respond um, as best we can. Let us pray this night. We thank you, Father, for the blessedness of the word we have and how, how well, Father, it speaks of you and all that you have given to man and how content we are, Father, with the promises that you have bestowed upon us. Add to us many opportunities to study and learn together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.